Glad that you're here tonight. I know we got some much needed rain. I don't know if it rained at your place, but hopefully it did just a little bit. But we're thankful you've chosen to come. We have guests tonight. We're honored to have you. And uh, we hope that you'll come back uh, on Sunday for our worship service at 930, our Bible classes at 5, and we'd be honored to have you to come and be with us. I do hope that you uh, uh, picked up one of the bulletins uh, when you came in tonight. It's got a lot of updated information on the sick and uh, other information. But in addition to what you'll find in the bulletin, we want to remember uh, Sister Ruth Staley in our prayers, Anita Forrest's mom. Uh, she's been diagnosed with pneumonia. And so uh, she is home uh, being treated for that. So let's remember her and all the other sick in our prayers. Is it my hearing or do I hear an echo? I hear an echo, okay. Well, we'll see. Can you hear me though? Okay, okay, all right. All right, a uh, few announcements quickly. The Golden Circle, we're gonna be having lunch at the dinner bell uh, this coming Monday. The bus will leave at 10.30. And then if you're planning on going to Amish country on October the 6th on Friday, go ahead and sign the list, please as quickly as possible. Our Lads to Leaders uh, big kickoff uh, is gonna take place on Sunday, September the 24th in the Annex following Bible class. I know uh, several of our teens will be going to Rush uh, this weekend and uh, the bus is going to leave from the TAC on Friday at four o'clock. Uh, we have several that we want to remember in our prayers who've lost loved ones. We express our deepest sympathy to Sister Allison Gross and the death of her brother-in-law Greg Moon of Nashville. Also, we want to remember Gina Horn and her family in our prayers and the death of her grandmother, uh, Mrs. Eva Sane of Bolivar, Tennessee. And then, of course, uh, Sister Brenda Taylor, uh, please remember that family in your prayers and the death of her great niece, uh, Dewana uh, Fugit. Is that right? How do you say that? Fugit. I started to say that, but okay. All right, so please remember that family in your prayers. We also want to congratulate. Uh, Kevin and Lauren Brumley on the birth of Austin Benjamin, and they came by the office today, by the way. We got to see that little baby today, sweet little thing. Got more hair than I do. And uh, anyhow, he weighed eight pounds and 13 ounces, 20 inches long, and of course, we're so thankful that everybody is doing well. The Freed Hardeman Associates is scheduled to have a meeting tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Also, remember the men's shootout on the 30th at the Jumper Estate, so sign the list, men, for that. And also remember uh, EYC and CYC sign-up sheets uh, are on the table in the foyer. Uh, tomorrow will be our food pantry and clothes closet. If you want to come and check it out, we'd love to see you there. It'll be from 9 until 10.30 in the morning. And uh, the pantry item this month is canned meats. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight for our devotional. Uh, the song is going to be led by the sideline reporter for the Boonville Blue Devils, Turner Foster. And I had to throw that in there. And then our closing prayer tonight is going to be led by Michael Dooley and Brother Stephen Hodgen. Uh, he's going to present our devotional thoughts. The invitation song tonight will be number 947, Jesus is Tenderly Calling. The song before the devotion will be 625, Zion's Call.
John Gordon is a powerful speaker and a best-selling author who focuses on optimism and positive thinking and positive behavior. He shares the following five things uh, by which someone can win today to be a winner. Number one, control what you can control. Number two, let go of what you can't. Number three, replace fear with faith. Number four, speak truth to the lies. And number five, believe the best is yet to come. You know, those are, are powerful statements and very encouraging. But when I read those, I think about what Solomon said long ago, that there is nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we as human beings think that uh, we are the authors of our own destiny and we are best equipped to encourage ourselves. But I want us to revisit these five um, positive thoughts from the Word of God and how God looks at them. Number one, control what you can control. Number two, uh, let go of what you can't. Paul put it this way, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Jesus said it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours or be, given, be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Number three, replace fear with faith. Didn't Paul say in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Number four, speak truth to the lies. But Solomon said long ago in Proverbs 8, 7 and 8, For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. And number five, believe that the best is yet to come. Have a positive outlook. But didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, but as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You see, when we want to be uplifted, when we want to be encouraged and motivated, yeah, a motivational speaker might lift us for a few minutes. And a well-written book can be uh, a great read and very encouraging. But God has long ago put in place the things by which if we want to be successful, if we will do them, we will. Tonight, if you're not one of God's children, then these things are not promised to you. If you're not living as a faithful child of God, you need to get your life back in harmony with God. If we can help anybody tonight, uh, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?
Let us pray. Lead us, guide us, and bless us. Please be with those that have lost loved ones and do everything in your power to comfort them and allow us to show them love and support during this horrible time, Lord. Please be with those that are sick. Please be with those that are hospitalized and do everything in your power to get them back to health and bring them back into the congregation with us, Lord. Please be with us and continue to guide us and lead us and be our light. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I believe it's time to get started in class tonight. Glad to see everyone here. Thankful for y'all being here. 
Uh, we'll begin an updating of list of sick and prayer requests. Anyone have any updates or additions? Anybody heard or heard anything about Brother Billy Deaton? Any updates on him? Everything went good. Last good. Uh, I know a, a friend of mine's mother passed away yesterday, uh, Miss Lila Jean Blassingame. It's me, I may have knew her from Boonville. Uh, keep that family, family in prayers and Tree's family. Any others? We'll go ahead and begin in prayer if no, no more. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here and be gathered together in your name. Lord, we're so thankful for the Bible that we have, so thankful to have it to, to guide our lives, to use as a tool, to shape our conscience and to use in our daily walk and learn how to treat others, Lord, and pray, Lord, we'll continue to, to grow and learn from it. Lord, we pray at this time the ones who've undergone operations and treatments and in the care of nursing and medical staff. Lord, we pray for them, pray for the family. <clears throat> Lord, we also pray for the family of many lost loved ones, uh, Blasting Game and Treese family and many others that are bereaved and that are grieving at this time. Lord, we pray for comfort, Lord, that we only know can come from you. Lord, we ask that you be with the many children throughout the world. Lord, we know that they are our future, the future of the church. Lord, we pray that we'll do our part to raise them, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lord, we ask you to be with us here at Jumpertown, uh, Boonville. Lord, we pray to, to be here and be with our leadership, be with the elders, be with the deacons, be with the, the many that minister and the many works here, the ones that are, that are keeping it going, the ones that are doing the work. Lord, we pray to strengthen them and continue that we'll pray that we can keep the work going. Lord, we ask you to be with us through this Bible hour and study. Lord, pray that we can put away the stresses and worries of the world and focus on thy word and focus on the learning that we can apply in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we finished up uh, chapter 8 and was looking at the, uh, you know, the argument of food being offered to idols and uh, things that might necessarily be our right but to be uh, wise in our judgments of the things we do and decisions we make in regard as how they affect other people. As we move on and begin here in chapter 9, uh, verse 1 begins with a series of questions. He starts out and he asks the question, am I not free? He asks, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord, and are you not my workmanship in the Lord? So as look here in verse 1, he asked the question, am I not free? Was he not a free man? He was born free. He asked the question, was he an apostle? Was he, Paul not an apostle? He was. He asked then, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Had he seen Jesus? As we look here in Acts Chapter 9, as we look here, 
in the beginning, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he realized the error of his way at this time and began the change that led on to his ministry. In verse 2, it says, If to others I am not an apostle, or at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. So as we look there, why would others be questioning or claiming whether Paul was or was not an apostle? What was different from him or the other apostles? You know, as they look at that of how he was before, you know, look at the other apostles being there from the beginning, you know, maybe they was, since he wasn't there before, you know, wasn't counting them as equal to them. But apparently it was going on. It was brought up here. So apparently there was some talk or discussion or reasoning, you know, whether or not they truly thought he was an apostle. You know, you look at the, the many evil things he had done. And, um, you know, as today, sometimes it's hard for people to kind of look past and get over that after things have happened. Um, you know, we looked there at the beginning of uh, in Acts, there in verse 9. You know, when Ananias was sent, you know, his first reaction was, Lord, I've heard many, much about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. So even the one that was sent there to him, you know, he was even hesitant, you know, in about that. So you can imagine how more worldly people was acting in the same way. That's right. Um, it brought up 1 Corinthians 15, 8, and he as well talking about how, you know, directly he was to it. He didn't beat around the bush when he was coming around to talking to him and, you know, about things. And he was dealing with many issues here. So that's like the thing, kind of looked like the strict teacher. It isn't as liked as much as others that would let them, you know, do more as they please. So that's two good points as well. He did. You know, and that's what, you know, he said, I will show him the things he shall suffer. You know, and he did. Um, and you can imagine all the, the personal things he dealt with, you know, through his ministry and, and stuff as well. Absolutely. At the end of that verse, you know, he looks at this. Why do you think he referred to them as the seal of his apostleship in the Lord? He was the founding one there of the church at one point. If we look in Acts 18, verses 8 and 11, Scripture says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. In verse 11, 
It says that he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So the first point there we look, you know, we look here, there were entire households being saved. We, we made a point in another class, you think about today converting people or talking or other things. But you think here an entire household being saved and converted to the gospel. You know, and that's the thing about today, if we're able to get into a home and the leader of the home, we have the potential ability to save that entire household. And here it was documenting that this was going on. You think 18 months in a place, a year and a half to labor with people, you get pretty close and get to knowing them. So he had kind of set some roots here in Corinth. Any questions or comments about him there in the church and them being the seal of his apostleship in the Lord? Specifically there in the church at Corinth. As we move on, we look to verses 3 through 10. It kind of goes along the same topic here. Uh, we'll just read this passage and then work through it. Starting in verse 3. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take a believing wife? Or do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of any of its first fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox, when it treads out the grain? Is it for the oxen that he is concerned? Does he not, look, not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher in hope of sharing of the crop. So we look here and we think about them having a problem of him getting any benefit or gain, you know, as we look to the rights he forfeited. You know, as they was looking there to see of him, you know, possibly benefiting any from this work, you know, we think about us in our work. In a physical sense, we look and think about it. Um, you know, we kind of look at the physical reaping, physical benefits of what we do. Let's look at a couple passages of Scripture and what it says about enjoying those things. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says, It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all, his labor, in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, Nothing is better for man than he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in all things God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. As we look and think about that, though, blessings, enjoyment, what we have, John 3.16 points out one of the greatest blessings and gifts that we could ever have. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But as we look here and we think about the physical world and what we have to do and provide and our reasons, you know, as individuals and workings, we kind of need to continue to keep a reason to get up and go, to get up out of bed and to do these things. You know, as we think about them personally, you know, what are some reasons that we get up and work and go and do every day that's pleasing the Lord's sight? 
We think about working to be able to give of our means to the Lord. You know, we all enjoy good things for our families. You know, it's good to have a decent home, decent clothes, things of these nature. You know, and as we're blessed and able to do things, you know, unless we take care of our own home and have capabilities to take care of things, it's hard for us to be benevolent of others, right? So we have to first have our house in order, things of that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things that we have that we work for. There's nothing wrong with bettering ourselves. I remember as I was a young man, a particular person, he would always bring up the point of preachers and people spreading the gospel. And he held the belief that, you know, anyone that was preaching or teaching that was getting paid for it, that that was their purpose of doing it. If you took that away, that a great percentage of them wouldn't continue to do it. As we think about that, you know, it's unscriptural for someone to preach the gospel and not be rewarded of it. Uh, verse 9, it brings here and it says, For it is written, the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the corn. You know, the mule or ox or whatever going through there, if he's working and plowing through that and helping harvest, you know, you're not going to twirl at him if he's trying to eat a ear of corn here and there or something like that. The point of it, anyone laboring it is worth the point of it and shouldn't be um, shunned of that. You know, we think about to that point, we live in a physical world. You know, it takes physical means to, to do and thrive and prosper. And just in these days of Paul, you know, it took physical things. It had to have food. At times, it had to have medicine, shoes, clothes. You know, we think about these things. The point of the people considering of not partaking or doing or receiving these things, you know, we just, it, it's absolutely, absolutely physical necessary to have some means of that. And on the other token of it, we look and think about preachers of the gospel and people spreading and doing this work. You know, we look at the sacrifices they have as well. You know, sacrifices they have, their families, their wives. You know, it's, it's a good, commendable work. But it, it's not to go and notice the things that they do and sacrifice of it. In verse 7, Paul argues, looking at this, by considering talking about the soldiers. He uses planters, shepherds, all these that are compensated for their work. You know, a soldier doesn't fight, you know, just at his own cost and tend to all these. Things are provided for him to do, to do the work. Same thing as someone spreading the gospel. Things need to be provided and aided in doing that. You know, a shepherd, he gets milk from his own flock. You know, he's there doing the work in the midst of it. So, you know, who would, you know, deny him from enjoying that? Eight and nine, as we look here, he goes back to the law of Moses and looking at this truth and thinking about the, all of that, you know, as today in modernization of things, we don't look and seem to see as much as we did of nature. But in those days, you know, that was what they was using to, you know, have for growing for all the, the, the modern day tractor as of now. You know, that's what they had of those days. Um, you know, it says there, as we get to verse 10, it says, he was not merely concerned about the ox, but the point of for all humanity. All who hope to work and share in this crop together, and everyone ought to be compensated for the work they do. It's there right by logic in the scriptures that Paul declares in verse 11 and 12. Scripture says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? 
you know, the workers there have a right to reap materials from these and the Corinthians for the work they was doing. So the same thing more or less points to where they are. Paul tells the Corinthians that he had all kinds of rights and freedom, freedoms as an apostle, but he chose to do what was in the best interest of their faith in the church. You know, if we look at things of our own personal interests and desires, sometimes they can skew or twist from the other way, but Paul here was trying to hold to that. He was trying to relinquish any rights of any support or other things, you know, as a great cost to himself to keep the faith moving forward, to keep doing that. You know, we read about these first and second letters. We see Paul, he didn't want to show himself to be more or less a seller, peddler, trader of the gospel. You know, in that day and time, I'm sure there was people that was looking to make merchant, make money, and to profit off of it. And Paul went to great lengths to, to note the point of that. You know, he's not telling them or asking him to do anything that he hasn't done himself. You know, as today as we do that, even in the workplace and other, you know, it's kind of hard to ask someone to do some things you're not willing to do yourself. So us as Christians, as we're doing that, sometimes it's best to lead by example. Oh, we look and think of, of helping before we ask to do something. Make sure that we're willing and able to and that we've done that as well. You know, many times today we think about and claim um, that we have and possess, you know, an American right. As we look and think about things that we have that many people have fought and died for. Paul spends some time in scripture. He talks about how he did not use certain rights to afford him the sake of the gospel. You know, in verse 12, he says, we endure everything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. We endure rather than creating obstacles for others. So as we look at that, think about it. It means that we watch what we say about people. You know, watch how we let things come out, things like that. Values, culture, political things today, you know, so much sensitive topics. You know, we have a right to opinions and other things, but in the, in the end, we need to think about our ability to be able to connect with people, to spread the gospel, not to burn any bridges or upset people so that we can connect and talk to them. Um, you know, even though we have that right to say or do things, sometimes it might be better off just to be silent about them. You know, we look through the scripture. You know, Jesus, sometimes he would answer them not a word. Sometimes scripture says, answer not a fool in his folly. Sometimes there's times it may be just better for us to, to maybe not say anything. Any comments or questions up to this point? As we move here to verse 13, he says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. For I would rather die than to have anyone deprive of me my ground from, uh, from boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, the goal is to present the gospel to as many people as possible. You know, for Paul, money was clearly not a focus to him. You know, he wasn't concerned the point of laying up any treasures or doing anything of that. Um, you know, we look about the motive of Paul. 
Um, you know, as we look in verse 19, the scripture says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those there. To those outside the law, I became as one outside. That I might win those outside the law. So as we look at the point here, what does this say about the motive of Paul, of what he was trying to do? trying to open doors. He's trying to connect on them of where they are. You know, a lot of times when we talk, and I've heard older people talk about studying the Bible, you know, it's important to kind of begin with someone where they are in the knowledge of the Scripture. You know, if you go to them, you know, at the level of understanding as we go to that, um, certain topics or troubles of it, it's good to connect and know and understand, you know, who you're talking to here. And as we do that, we can understand where to go from and where to learn. And knowing the person in general, knowing their background, knowing what kind of life they had, upbringing, family situations. You know, all these things, as we come to them, different facets of life, people have different hobbies, different things. But if we find something through any of those that we can come down to those levels to try to, to interact to that. As we look at Paul here uh, doing that, when we talk to each other, you know, we think about what we're saying for the sake of the gospel. You know, are we trying to understand where a person is spiritually or truly helping them to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus or are we just coming from our personal knowledge? As we talked about the chapter before, you know, what did the Bible say that knowledge does for us? Knowledge puffs us up and love builds us up. So as we look to that, the point of our knowledge, we always need to maybe let it take a back seat a little bit and let the more loving side come out. You know, if we consider their background and reach them with the gospel, you know, the most important thing of whatever we do is not to cause a stumbling block at any point of it. You know, as we present the scripture of do it, we must think the way that a person might, even an unbelieving person or a weaker Christian, you know, kind of get the word out, get enough truth to them to where we can teach them. And as we look here at verse 19, you know, we have to take the form of a servant and a servant to all. It's easier to, to touch base or talk to people that's kind of in line with what we think, with what we believe, or related to things that we enjoy in life. Sometimes it's good for us to step out of our comfort zone. You know, there's, so, there's many more people outside of that than we'll have inside our circle. You know, the goal, as we think about, is not necessarily what we think of it or our rights and freedoms, but as we go to spread the gospel. In verse 25, it says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, imperishable wreath. If we turn to 2 Timothy 4, verses 8, I was going to read a passage there. Long to this. Second Timothy four verses eight. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, 
but also all who have loved his appearing. So as we look at that and the Christians looking to it, you know, we think about worldly things of, of gaining, you know, the incorruptible crown. It's there always to be saved away, no, no loss to be found in it. Verses 26, it says, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beateth the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So the point in of all this, you know, we're looking, teaching others and all of that. The point of it, in the end, we as well have to examine ourselves, where we are in the faith, where we are in our studies, where we are of doing things of our own accord to lay up those treasures. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 and 13, Scripture says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in the words here, it talks about working out our own salvation. What comes to mind for y'all as Christians of us each individually working out our own salvations? What's attached to that for y'all? It's each an individual responsibility, isn't it? What do we do to maintain to that and work out our own salvation daily, yearly? As we look forward and plan, you know, we think about people that we might have in our life that we look that might plan to take the gospel to. Think about works of the church we might look into adding or going to. You know, our own personal studies of feeding on it so that we remain, remain strong. Any in mind come to y'all? You know, when I think about Wednesday night classes and Wednesday night studies, we all realize lots happen in the week. We're all tired. We're all give out. I'm just as tired as most of y'all. You know, we think about when we get here, just the attendance of people, how much it does. You know, coming here and seeing everybody returning, Seeing the kids here and the parents that's brought them, you know, just the, the point of showing up, we realize how much good it's done. Many of us may not think we put in, to, put in too much or get much out of it, but being here showing up is a big jump that does a lot. As we look through here, Paul challenges, even though we have freedom, that we give ourselves away for the faith of others. You know, we give a piece of ourselves off to help others. We sacrifice to help and do, and we do it to the glory of the Lord. You know, we think about making our decisions. You know, each decision that we make, we think about it, and always in the back of our mind, we always need to make a, a mental note of it of being for the sake of the gospel. You know, we also look at it of being for the good of others. You know, we talk about <clears throat> the end of the chapter there, talking about being disqualified. You know, we look at things here in life of being disqualified from things that's permanently cut off from something. You know, same thing here. Just imagine being disqualified from heaven. Imagine being disqualified from working towards your whole life to that point to be with family and others. We look at that. It should help us to grow, keep us to doing our daily responsibilities as it is. 
you know, Scripture says that we're stewards. You know, after we've done all that we'll do, we're still going to be unprofitable servants. But we keep pushing on and keep doing what we can. You know, we think about services, you know, when things are over, you know, everybody mingles around, <clears throat> talks to each other, stick around talking to each other. You know, the exhort exhortation, the building up. You know, we think about that. Think about people here at church. Many arrive way before services ever come. Some people arrive at the front to, to greet and do things, sit around, visit with each other. Hadn't seen people since Sunday. Think about doing those small things to build each other up, being strong in the faith, being there for each other. We think about when loved ones are lost, all the good that's done, you know, food being done, comforting words, calls. Many visitation cards will be sent out and helping of doing people. You know, as we do in that, we're working on our daily walk, our daily walk of faith, working out our own salvation. As we spend time here together, even think about outside of our assemblies, things that we do together in groups, trying to be as one. You know, the more we can be around Christians, the more we're going to be built up. You know, the, the point of the Bible of embers of fire, as they're separated, they're not too well, but as they're grown together, they can build heat, build off each other. Just as us as Christians, we can do the same thing with each other. As we think about things in the context of this, of more denying ourselves and with intentions of the gospel, you know, we have our weekly, our weak flesh desires, things that we wear down, tired, stresses that we've done, been through. We have those to combat. As we push forward, we find strength and encouragement in the scriptures. The gospel of Christ as here in Paul, as he was teaching and moving forward and admonishing and correcting them here in Corinthians, today it has to take priority as us, as believers. It has to have a priority level in our lives. And we set that and gauge it by ourselves continually as we work on it. And that has to deal as well as how we deal with people. As we, as we talk, as we make those connections, and as we go together spreading the word and gospel of it, as we open those doors and do those things, you know, it opens up and gives us the opportunities to teach and do. As we look at Paul on the point of, of the gospel, and we look at people, people today, preachers being compensated for other things, you know, he was dealing with this. There's always going to be someone that has a negative. There's always someone to say something against it that may not be true. You're always going to have the worldly view of it. But we can't let that work on us and become bitter or lash back, you know, we have to just understand it's part of the world. Do the best we can with a good, positive attitude, because if we don't, that's what hinders, hinders the gospel. Any questions, comments up to this point? We'll go ahead and start into chapter 10 a little bit. As we get here, as he kind of changed gears from talking about this, you know, he just got off of talking why he does it, what the goal is for and what he's doing. They get back here again and have to deal with another problem that they've dealt with before. What's about to go on here that he's warning against? As we get here, he's about to deal with idolatry again. He goes back here. He takes it all back for him. It seems like it always ends back goes back to Egypt, goes back to the Red Sea, goes back to what the Lord's done for them. As we look at this, there's a continual cycle of even us today as doing sin, maybe getting back of the world. 
you know, and then us being brought back, consoled back to God. As we look at that, the wilderness wandering, many others, seemed like it was a cycle. Seems like it's continual as we look through it all of the Old Testament. As we get here in the first couple of verses, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized in Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate and drank the same spiritual food. Now, as he's talking about the cloud and passed under the sea, what's he talking about here? Crossing the Red Sea. And they would follow that cloud until what happened? When that cloud went through and stopped, that's where they stopped and made camp. So he's bringing it all the way back, and he's wanting them, wants them to understand, you know, as we look here of where they come from, you know, they all was partaking of this same knowledge, all partaking of all this same spiritual food that had been taught to them. Verse 4, and he says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And who was that rock? Christ. You know, Christ, you know, as we look back towards that, you know, Christ's blood, you know, it goes for us today and moves forward. But what did that blood also do? Blood went, back, blood went backwards. You know, as we look back towards that, it was it's, the scripture says it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away what? Sins of the world. So as we look at this, the same thing, that same blood that's going all the way back to them is moving forward for us today. Verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as all they did. So as we look to this and we think about Scripture and um, you know, we look at the law now from the New Law and Testament, but what does it tell us all these things that happened aforetime, what are they for for, for us? You know, we look back at them, you know, many problems that we have today, you can find someone in the Bible that dealt with it in the old law. You know, and it's, we should be very grateful to live under the new law because it was much, much different times. You know, such a blessing for us to go directly to the, to the Father in prayer today. You know, we look under the, the changing of the times, you know, under the patriarchal law, the fathers would have to, you know, go on behalf of the family for the sin we move forward under the Mosaic law, you know, he would go on behalf of the people to the Father. And now with us, you know, we can all go directly to Christ. So as we look at this, you know, it lets us know all those things are there for an example for us. And even in this life and our family and others, you know, as we look, many times the father of families will try to teach their children from things they realized in their life of things they did wrong, of things where they made mistakes and how they learned from it. And many times the children may not listen, as the case is many times. But the point just is the same here in the old law, whether we heed to it or not. It's there for us to learn from an example, and we see how, how it took place there. Verse 7, here he starts to get into the, the problem. He says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You know, always, you know, go all the way back to the garden. You know, after sin has happened, what must happen after that? Atonement has to happen, usually in, ends in death. As we look at that, you know, the old law, you know, when they had the sin offerings and other, you know, they would let the lamb or the bull, the, the sacrifice that they was having there was taking the place. You know, as we think about today, as we move forward and ask for God's forgiveness, <clears throat> you know, we realize that the only thing that can atone for that was Christ's blood. You know, as we contact it in baptism and as we put on Christ and we move forward, you know, it's always the blood. You know, us, ourselves, the point of it after we had done all we can do, the only thing that keeps us connected to God and atones for that is Christ's blood. In verse 11 it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, the statement in that scripture, take heed lest he fall, what is he pointing to or what comes to mind there in this text? Falling from grace. You know, we think about the grace of God, you know, we think about, you know, our part, and we look at this, you know, we have to take heed, as we pointed out before, you know, our own spiritual walk, our own, our own duty of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of a, the living God. As we think about that, in all the cost of sin and all the sacrifice of it, we realize in that we see the seriousness of sin. We see what it leads to. All the old law examples, what come to all them, nothing good ever came from sin. You know, the scripture says there's pleasure, pleasure in sin, but for a what? For a season. You know, we think about a season, think about things, think of that. You know, the Bible says, yeah, there's pleasure in it, but the end, the end's not going to be good. But in 13, it tells us, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will let you not be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what's he promising us there? He'll be a helper for us. What's he also promising? All going to be affected. But he tells us he's not going to put on us more than we're able there. And he knows us, so he knows our abilities. You know, we think about the one that created us, the one that knows us, even the hairs of our head. He knows, he knows our limits and capabilities. Sometimes we may feel like it's overwhelmed, but he knows and he makes the promise here. You know, as we look and think about that, we worry and stress about things, and we always wonder how we're going to make it through certain things. We look at doubting of things. We look at doubting and, um, you know, we look, and look even John and Thomas, you know, as they doubted, you know, questioned things. We think about ourselves a bit. You know, here in this physical flesh, you know, things are going to get to us. Things are going to bother us. 
we're going to get to those points. But we have to understand God's word and the truth of it. He said, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. So the promise is there, he's not going to push us more than we can handle. There will always be an avenue to get away. And then of it, that you may be able to endure it. 14, he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. You know, all these sins in these towns in these cities, and we look here, you know, idolatry of that day, it was prevalent. It was everywhere, and everyone was affected. There's a lot of scripture, especially in the old law of it, that we've discussed on as how it's changed into our days. But as you look there, the way it was tainted, the way it was touched, you know, every people in these towns, <clears throat> as Christianity was coming through, looking to bring them on, they was having to combat and do this. And it was always in a negative sense when they was talking about idolatry, you know, how to combat it, to deal with it, flee from it, of it. And as he tells them, he says, I speak as, sent, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we, we break, is it not a participation of the body? Because there is one bread, who we are many, one body, for we partake of one bread. Why do you think he brings up the point of oneness here just after he talked about the idols? Were there many idols of that day? You know, we think of how divided, how different. You know, there was idols of every kind. They had these banquet halls and temples for them. But in God and Christ, we realize the oneness of it. You know, as we, as the food being of them, he brings up here, he just talked about the, the food offered to them of it. And as we look here, bringing up the breaking of the bread and of it, he said, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idol is anything or that idols is anything? He says, No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So as they get intertangled back with this, the warning comes back. They're having an issue with this again. And dealing with it multiple times is a prevalent problem that's continuing on. He says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord of jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And the scripture says you cannot serve two masters or you'll what? to one despite the other. You know, house against itself divided cannot stand. The oneness of God, the oneness of it. As we look and, and think of that, uh, unity was always taught the oneness of God and the Godhead. Any comments or questions regarding verse 10 before we close in prayer? Time is just about up. We'll go ahead and close in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for thy word. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to, to gather here in this place, to be able to partake of thy spiritual food. And as we think on it, and as we all individually work out our own salvation and 
do our duty and serve in thy kingdom. Lord, we pray that we'll always do that in a manner pleasing to thee, Lord. We, we always pray as we observe the scriptures and look to it, Lord, we'll, we'll feed on it and look at it and pray, Lord, that we will observe it in a way of handling, handling it with care without addition or subtraction. Lord, I say as we leave this place to, to carry thy light, to carry thy word, to carry the mind of Christ that we'll do good unto others and draw them to us and pray, Lord, we can preach them, teach them the gospel and bring them into thy fold. Lord, we ask thee as we leave, Lord, to keep us safe at be thy will. Pray, Lord, to bring us back at the next appointed time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.